Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 26, uh, chapters really 26, 27, and 28, but we're going to start in 26, 16. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open in them to that passage. And before we jump in, let me just uh, run a word by you to see uh, what might come to mind as you hear it, and it's the term bless. Uh, Maybe you hear the term blessed uh, on social media, right? Hashtag blessed. Or maybe uh, if you're like me and you're from the South, you'll hear the term, bless your heart, right? Which could either mean I love you a lot or I hope a meteorite hits you in the head on your way out the door. And and that makes the term bless even more confusing to me personally. Uh, And then also, you know, maybe you grew up in a home or maybe you're a part of a home right now where uh, saying the blessing before you eat is a thing. But here's the question. Have you ever really stopped to uh, wonder why or understand what the term bless actually means? Well, it is a religious term uh, that we see used uh, in, in many religions, but in particular in the Christian religion, you'll see it show up uh, in places where like some of the um, uh, fathers, uh, early, ch- not church fathers, good grief, some of the, like Abraham, Isaac, whatnot, when they are on their deathbed, they'll gather their children around and they'll basically speak a word of blessing over them. Or you'll see God's people cry out to God and say, God, bless me. And what essentially is happening here is they are seeking uh, favor and protection from God. That's essentially what a blessing actually is. And so when we frame it in that way, I wonder if you, like me, uh, can understand that, that all of us seek blessing almost all the time. Now, hopefully it's from God, but uh, often it's not, Right? You know, maybe sometimes we seek blessings from other people, right? So maybe uh, we want the favor or protection of a crowd. And so maybe we'll try to seek the blessing of the popular kids, right, at school. Or the blessing of a boss or a friend. Sometimes it's not a person at all. It's an inanimate object. Maybe we want the blessing of something like money, right? Something that's going to give us favor, right? Uh, Or maybe at least we think protection. Maybe it's health. Who, who knows what those things are? But, but sometimes that which we go after for blessings, uh, I would argue, uh, might lead us uh, away from blessing altogether. You know, my family was sitting around the table just the other night and we were talking about uh, the tyranny of being a part of sometimes a, a group of people, say, uh, those who, you know, now this, I'm painting with a broad brush, so, uh, you know, take it as it is, but sometimes being a part of the popular crowd uh, ends up being tyrannical, right? Because uh, instead of just, um, you know, existing in a relationship, you're, you're trying to get something out of it, right? And it's running your life. Sometimes seeking blessing in the wrong places uh, can lead to really emotional, spiritual slavery, We can become chronic people pleasers. We can sacrifice uh, things that are meaningful in our lives on the altar of whatever it is that we are trying to get its blessing. As we walk through this section of Deuteronomy, I feel like we need to pull the camera back just a little bit because we have been in some crazy sections for a really long time and maybe we've lost track of what the book of Deuteronomy actually is because we've been in uh, these uh, kind of wonky laws that don't make a whole lot of sense to our modern ears. 
But if you remember, if you were with us, strain your brain to go all the way back to the month of February where uh, we set up what the book of Deuteronomy actually is. It's, it's something called, a, it's a covenant document or uh, let's just call it a treaty, right? A Hittite treaty, a suzerain vassal treaty. But, but it's basically a document that is used when uh, two people or groups of people enter into a formal relationship with one another. And so for God's people, this is a formal document with the God of the universe, who, by the way, is perfect and holy and just and mighty and everywhere. And, and you know, you can imagine for God's people when they see pillars of fire and God in all of his greatness might be a little nervous when God says, hey, I'm going to dwell with you. And they're like, yo, but you're like fire and stuff. Like it might freak them out. And so in a way, a document outlining, hey, this is how you exist in the midst of a holy God. It's pretty kind of him. It probably helped God's people go, okay, good. This is what it looks like to be in relationship with God because we didn't know before. Thanks, right? So let me remind us of where we are in this document. So uh, I'm going to put the outline up here uh, to the left or right of me. I'm not sure where it actually shows up. But uh, we just finished the general stipulations and specific stipulations section of this book. And so uh, the general is just saying, God is unique. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Generally, hey, here's my law. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then all the rest of those uh, chapters after that are really unpacking what those laws look like and what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And so now we are headed into the part of this covenant that talks about blessings and curses, which is the part that says, hey, if you follow the stipulations in this document, you'll be blessed. You'll receive my favor. You will receive my protection. And if you don't, there are curses. Israel's on the cusp of the promised land. And what Moses is reminding them, talking about blessings and curses, saying, you are on the cusp of life or death. And a life of blessing only comes if you continue to follow after God. So here's the outline. Moses is saying today, blessing is already yours. There are life and death realities as you head into the promised land. And then we're going to see at the end how life is actually offered through death. Blessing is already yours. There are life and death realities and that life is offered through death. And so let me read Deuteronomy 26, verses 16 to 19. Follow along with me in your Bibles, if you will. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations, that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. Let me pray for us. Lord, would you once again just give us ears to hear and a soft heart to absorb what you would have us learn from these pages of Scripture. Spirit, would you cause me to get out of the way? Would you um, guide and protect the words that come out of my mouth? And Lord, uh, whenever, wherever we are listening to this, uh, Lord, would you impact our hearts with it? Thanks for this time. Thanks for your word and your spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, let's look at the first point, this idea that blessing is already 
yours. So let me just summarize what I just read in 16 and 19. He essentially said, keep my commandments, right? On the heels of all these commandments, he said, keep these. And then the logic follows in verse 17. He said, because you said Yahweh is your God and that you will do it. But then the third thing that he says in verse 18 is he says, he says, do this because, or essentially the Lord has made you his treasured possession. You see, let's talk about this idea of of God's people being his treasured possession. There is a trap that we could fall into whenever we start uh, spending a ton of time looking at law, right? It's not bad to look at law, but but here's the trap we can fall into is that that it is our law-keeping, it is our goodness that makes us treasures to God. But what this is saying is before they could even go into the land and succeed or fail in law-keeping, God is saying in verse 18, He has already made you His treasured possession. That's how he summarizes the law he gives. That's how he talks about them as he heads into the blessings and curses. It says, there are blessings and curses potentially ahead of you, but know going into it that you are already my treasured possessions. And we see this wherever God gives the law, right before Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments are given. In Exodus 19, he says, I have made you my chosen people, my holy nation. Right before he, again, in Exodus 20, right before he gives the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who brought you out of the land of slavery. Now go and keep my law. Peter actually repeats those words that are similar to this and exactly what's written in Exodus 19 uh, to a New Testament church, right? His people in the New Testament are framed out by anybody who has placed their faith in Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. So before we head into the blessings and the curses, what Moses shows us is that God first treasures his people and then calls them to live out those realities. And this is what I would call the Forky Principle. Uh, Forky is a character in Toy Story 4, if you haven't seen it. Uh, And essentially, so um, Bonnie is the child who has all these kind of creepy talking toys uh, in Toy Story 4. Uh, And and basically, she's going to her first uh, workshop uh, headed into kindergarten. And she's in the back of the class, and she's lonely and frustrated. And she's supposed to be doing one craft. And she ends up grabbing a spork from the trash and, and puts those kind of weird beady eyes, sticks those on them, and takes some pipe cleaner and makes a mouth and eyebrow and arms and legs and and this little sporky turns into her favorite toy right Uh, which is pretty typical for a kid right here's a thousand dollar toy and they'll play with the box right and that'll be their favorite thing but but I digress Uh, essentially uh, she takes Forky home and Woody who's kind of the ringleader of the toys is introducing Forky to all the rest of the toys and he says this he says Forky is now the most important toy to Bonnie He's basically saying, we need to take care of Forky. Now, as he's introducing Forky to the toys, he goes, Forky, these are toys. And Forky goes, toys, trash, and turns around and runs towards the trash can. You see, the whole rest of this movie is is Forky not believing that he's the treasured possession of Bonnie, but rather he is trash because that's where she found him. And so he keeps running to the trash. And so the whole rest of this movie is basically the other toys rescuing Forky from the trash and saying, no, live like Bonnie's treasured possessions. 
Here's a question. When did Forky become Bonnie's treasured possession? Was it when she fully understood who Bonnie was? Was it when Forky truly understood that he's not trash, but that, uh, that, that he's Bonnie's, that he's actually a toy now? No. When was it? It was when Bonnie placed her love on him. And it was actually, essentially, when he was trash, right? Friends, that's a picture of what we have going on here in Deuteronomy and what we see throughout the rest of Scripture. That God first places his love on the unlovable and then calls them to live out of that reality. Oftentimes when we approach the Christian faith, we treat it like religion where we say, I obey, therefore I am loved. But the Christian faith puts it in far more relational terms. It says, no, you are first loved, therefore obey. God is saying here through Moses, you are my treasured possession. So when you go into the land, don't live like trash. Second main point is this picture that life and death are realities. So as we jump into 27 and 28, we see blessings and cursings. And and what Moses is saying is, is, here are the two paths before you, and there is no possibility of life or blessing for Israel if you choose to live a life apart from God. Let's talk about this picture of curses, which I would uh, relate more closely with death, as we'll see. So uh, 27, 26, let me just read uh, you a summary verse. So in 27, um, 9 to 26, what you see is Moses basically outlining, hey, if you do these things, then the curses will come. And he summarizes it where he says, cursed is all uh, who doesn't conform to the words of the law by doing them. And all the people said, amen. Now, this is an, an exhaustive list. It's a summary of all the laws that we've just uh, spent the many last many weeks in. Uh, but then you fast forward, and, and then he outlines what the curses may actually look like. In 28.20, let me just read you another summary verse. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. And so God is saying, hey, If you forsake me, if you forget me, if you go and run after other gods or just follow yourself, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They're not necessarily following anyone, but they're doing what they want to do. He's saying, hey, life for you heads down the road of curse. And the picture here, it it goes far beyond um, just kind of a simple word curse. It paints the picture of death. He's saying you will perish if you walk down this road. Friends, there is this reality here uh, that, that Moses is basically holding before them. There is a danger that if you forsake God, if you don't live in relationship with him, that there is judgment. That's the picture that chapter 28 paints. But then you see this picture of life or blessing in 28. This is the other side of the coin. It is favor. It is a picture of favor and protection and abundance if they simply follow after God and his character by keeping these laws. And let me read 28, 1 and 2. It says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments uh, that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. 
So, so let me just camp out on one verse where it says uh, his, what does it say? Oh, I lost it already. It says his blessings will come upon you and overtake you. It's this picture of his mercies washing over him, his blessing washing over his people. The picture I have is going to the beach and a huge wave is coming and you're kind of running away from it with a big smile on your face. But instead of when it crashes over you, your sinuses are filled with salt water, you're awash in his mercy and his grace and the beauty of that loving relationship with him. God is not stingy. God desires to bless his people. Now, friends, I will say what most really envision life in the promised land to really be a foreshadowing of is heaven, is eternity, life in his eternal blessing through Jesus Christ. But it also would say this picture that we have here in 28 of curses, if you read it, it is horrific. And it's saying that that is a foreshadowing of the ultimate judgment that is to come. Moses is saying these two realities are real. So Anthony, are you telling me there's a formula to life, right? That if I am awesome, like if I just am a really good person, that I will just be awash in blessings my whole life, that I will never get sick and that my friends will never, uh, like there'll never be tension in relationships and I'll always have all the money I want? No. Okay, Anthony, but my life is really hard. And so should I interpret my hard life as, as me not doing what God wants me to do and, and he's cursed me? No. Can I just teach you a little bit about how we read Scripture? Context is always king. And when you read a historical telling of something like a law given to a specific group of people at a specific time, it is never a one-to-one -one parallel with our life or our nation's life today. These laws and these blessings and these curses were given to the nation of Israel under the theocracy and rule of God directly 3,000 years ago. And, and none of us fall into that category. So it is never a one-to-one -one comparison. America does not fall into that category. It is never a one-to-one -one comparison. And a quick overview of Scripture tells us that that's not what Scripture holds before us as a formula of how to interpret blessing and curses or when life goes well or when life is hard. Job, even in the Old Testament, righteous, did everything right, right, in his life, in theory. At least how it's recorded on paper. But guess what? He lived a life that most would say, that was utterly cursed. You must have really messed up. In fact, his friends even said that to him. He had no idea that this was a result of a cosmic drama going on between God and Satan, and that it was ultimately to glorify God. And he, he in the end, was more blessed than he could have ever imagined when he was going through it. Fast forward to the New Testament. You know, you've got John 9, uh, where the disciples are walking with Jesus, and, and they are living by that paradigm of blessing and cursing and one-to-one -one comparison. He's like, Lord, here's a blind person. You know, who sinned, him or his parents that has caused him to live this way? And Jesus says, neither. This happens so that God might be glorified. One of the marks of a Christian that we see in the New Testament in 2 Timothy 3.12 is that they'll suffer. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then there's grace, right? Grace is showered upon people who are rebels uh, against the God of the universe, who if they simply put their faith in Jesus Christ, are given all of the inheritance 
of Jesus. So friends, there is not a one-to-one comparison of, of the blessings and cursings that we read here and how we read them directly into our lives. But I would also say we would be foolish to ignore the fact that how we live our lives really does matter, right? Even 1 John 1, 6 says, hey, if, if we say we have a relationship with the God of the universe, but we walk in darkness, we lie. We're liars. Because sin and God, they cannot coexist. So let me say this. Who or what we follow? All right, let me just boil it down to who or what we follow will point us in a direction of life or death, of blessing or cursing. Let me give you an example. Justin Early, uh, he is a man who wrote a book called The Common Rule. uh, And it's really, uh, he talks, well, let me just tell you the story. He was a missionary in China, uh, and he had this uh, run-in with a person on the street one day. And he very clearly felt like the Lord in that moment called him away from the mission field in China to the mission field uh, in the legal world. And so he packed up his family and he moved back to the States and he went to law school. But all of a sudden he, he realized that he was the most anxious person he knew. And he couldn't go to sleep at night if it weren't for pills or taking some drinks. And he asks this question or he makes a statement. He says, my conversion from the young missionary to the medicated lawyer was now complete. And a stubborn question appeared. How did the missionary come to be the one who was converted? Now, the rest of this book is him unpacking this idea of the liturgy of his life. Liturgy, he defines as patterns of words or actions repeated regularly as a way of worship. And he said it sounds an awful lot like habits, and what he would argue is that habits actually point us to what we worship. We build the habits of our lives around that which we worship. And what he recognized as he examined his own life is that he had given into the liturgy of freedom or rather the liturgy of the idol of freedom. You see, he said, I came back and I gave into the kind of American dream or ideology that I can be all-knowing, that I am an independent moral agent reliant on no one else, that I can be all-present, that I can be limitless. And what he recognized in his life, that 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 was producing death. Friends, during this time of quarantine, we are in a very unique season where we can examine the liturgy of our lives to see where it's pointing that our heart of worship is pointed towards. We can examine our lives right now to see, now that our habits are all totally disrupted, right, it's kind of gone away, we can examine the habits of our lives that point us to what we really do worship. So here's a question. What have we been converted to? Look at the habits of our lives and see, have we been converted to something other than Christianity? I don't mean uh, you've turned the faith, but has our functional theology drifted in a direction uh, that that really our, our, our theology that we ascribe to, that I'm a Christian, that I follow Jesus, is it pointing us somewhere different? One of my friends said this this week. They said, you know, this quarantine season is kind of like an elimination diet uh, in many ways uh, in our lives, where elimination diet is you've got a problem, and so you eliminate all these problem foods from your diet, and you slowly add one in, or things back in, one at a time, uh, that hopefully points you in a healthy direction. And so uh, maybe we treat this time and we look at the liturgy of our lives as, a, as an elimination diet, right? Uh, 
a lot of the things that we might have been seeking blessing of before, comfort, money, relationships, control, our kids, whatever that may be, you know, maybe we recognize, oh, that there was unhealth there. What can I add into my life as a new liturgy that is going to form and shape me in the direction of Jesus Christ? Now, I would just say this, and he goes on to say this in the book. Uh, he says the path of, of blessing in life is pointing us in the direction of loving God and loving our neighbor, and that's what we've been reading in Deuteronomy. Well, early in this one section of his book, says at the end, he said, you know, I was giving into this ideal, or, uh, idol of freedom, and I recognized in that moment that the way to freedom is through submission. And here's who he was talking about. And this is our third main point, life offered through death. And we're going to fast forward to Galatians chapter 3. But before we do, let me reread Deuteronomy 27, 26, where it says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Now here's another uh, pointer as we read Old Testament texts like this, is that look at how the New Testament interprets what is being said there. This is an old covenant, and it's always to be read through the lens of the new covenant. And that's exactly what Paul does in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, where he quotes that verse I just read, but with this commentary. He says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. What? Andy, didn't you just tell me that the good move for the Israelites was to, to do the actual law? Well, yes, I did. But as we read backwards through the lens of the cross, Paul actually says those who rely on the law to bring blessing are actually cursed themselves. What? Let's keep reading. Verse 11. It's evident that no one is justified by God, uh, before God, by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. What is he saying, Anthony? Well, if you read through the rest of the book of Galatians, what Paul, in, 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 in no uncertain terms, is saying is you actually can't ever keep the law perfectly. So the law just simply becomes a curse that you live under. Now, this is a reality. Moses knew this back when he penned these words in Deuteronomy. That's why the sacrificial system existed. God knew that his people were going to blow it. And so he said, I'm going to take my punishment out on those bulls or those rams or that lamb, those sacrifices. But you know what those sacrifices were doing? They were pointing us forward to the true sacrifice, to the true lawkeeper. Jesus Christ, verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, and this is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 21, Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. Who is hung on a tree? It's Jesus. Friends, the law won't bring us blessing. In fact, using the law to bring blessing and saying, God, look at what I've done, it is saying here will actually bring us death and a curse. The only thing the law can do is act like an MRI. We've talked about this before. What does an MRI do? An MRI scans your body to tell you where the problem is. Does it heal you? No, never. But what does it do? It points you to the doctor that you need to go to who needs to perform the operation to save your life. And what Paul says in Galatians is, the law is the MRI that points you to the cure, the person of Jesus. 
Friends, the life of blessing is getting up on the table and allowing Jesus to remove your heart of stone and put in you a heart of flesh. And you bring nothing when you're under under anesthesia. Now let me also say this. This idea of blessing, as we read through the whole counsel of Scripture, is there blessing in this world? Absolutely. But as God talks about blessing everywhere in the New Testament, it is pointing us to that blessing being in the person of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, that is eternal life that overflows the banks into this life. But in this life, he does give us the Spirit that presents love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, right? All of them. I didn't even finish them, right? But that is part of the blessing that he brings out even as we face suffering, even as we, uh, as Paul says, uh, have plenty or we have want. He says we can do all things through Jesus Christ. He can bring about that joy even in the midst of hardship. So Anthony, can, does that mean I get rid of the law and I have license to do whatever I want after I come to faith in Christ? Well, no. I don't have time to go into it, but go forward and read Galatians 5. Verses 1 and 13 and 14, it says, hey, God gave you freedom by submitting to Jesus Christ. Don't run back into slavery. And then he says, actually use the law to understand that blessing and life come as you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and as you love your neighbor as yourself. In a way, Jesus is the cure. He's the surgeon, but, but I hope this isn't a heresy. Uh, I haven't thought about this too long, but in a way, the law is kind of like the physical therapist. You get off the table and you're not ready to go run a marathon. The law is a lamp into our feet to show us uh, how to walk and follow after Jesus, to know the God of the universe, not just his law, but that person. So let me conclude with this. As we find ourselves seeking for blessing, sometimes in all the wrong places, what we've seen today is that God reminds us that The blessing has already been offered to us. That there are life and death realities in this world. But that life can be found in the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf on the cross. Let me close this in prayer. Well, Lord, thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And Father, if there is anybody who is listening to this who has never placed their faith in you, they've never got up on the table and said, Lord, I trust in you to operate for you and the work that you've already done on my behalf to give me life. Father, I pray that right now they will pray that prayer of faith and trust in you and you alone. And Lord, for those of us who have followed you for a long time, that maybe the gospel has grown dull. Lord, maybe have us examine our lives to see uh, if we have given our lives to the liturgy of something else that leads us down the path of death. Or maybe, Father, we've given in to the lie that we obey, therefore we are loved. Father, would you change that heart in us and show us that we are loved and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you enable us to obey. We love you, Father. Remind us of these truths this week, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, friends, as we conclude this morning and we've talked about blessing, it's only fitting that I read uh, over you and, and pray a prayer of blessing from the Lord over you Uh, that really is the first one that we see prayed over God's people in the wilderness from Aaron. And so hear these words of blessing from the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his face upon you and give you his peace.
Amen. Go in peace.